a long time ago on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 49, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 10. Hello, time travelers, and welcome back to the Comic Book Time Machine's sub-feed of Marvel's Cosmic Comics, which takes a look at the Marvel sci-fi and fantasy books that were published during the same period of time that Marvel's Star Wars comic books, that first run, were first being published. And each episode is taking one issue of one of those books, and we're going month by month. And we always start with Star Wars, and usually we end with John Carter, Warlord of Mars. And so for our coverage of March of 1978, the cover date anyway, uh, we are ending ending that, that cover date period uh, right now with John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 10. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, a comic book fan, a comic book reader, a comic book writer, and... Yeah, I think it's it's just we're just going to go ahead and get started. That's enough introduction. Let's talk about this comic. The cover of John Carter Warlord of Mars issue number 10 says, "Is this the death of Barsoom?" Well, no, it's not. But it does say you'll be shocked when you read the final chapter of Air Pirates of Mars. And I have to say there were moments where I was indeed shocked. I was very surprised. I was surprised how goofy the opening was going to be. Not not the, pro- the prologue. Uh, there's a two-page kind of prologue thing that has Tars Tarkas. He is debating within his own mind loyalty to John Carter or loyalty to his people, the Tharks. His daughter is there, and she's trying to convince him, you know, maybe you know, being friends with John Carter and being loyal to him is not a bad thing. Maybe the things that he values are things that we could learn from, and Tars Tarkas doesn't agree he thinks that, you know, they don't want to lose their their way. You know, they don't have senses of humor. Uh, they only have, uh, you know, they laugh at only things that are grisly. And they, they're they the greatest warriors, and they should stay that way. And he tells his daughter, you know, you really uh, aren't being very helpful. Uh, you're confusing things by, by bringing up these, you know, these other ideas uh, of that, that goes against what he's thinking about. It is interesting. Uh, there's some Martian misogyny going on here. Uh, he has his daughter is talking to him, and he says, "He says uh, my problems are not rooted in areas where females have knowledge. You concern yourselves with creating clothing and weaponry. I question loyalties and duties." And I just thought that was kind of funny. That, um, yeah, creating clothing and weaponry. You know, it, it's it's their own cultural. Uh, misogyny, their own cultural uh, gender roles that they have there. And this is a 
This is a man who's being confronted with something that is challenging his his culture, that's challenging the the way things have always been. Uh, and it's a it's an interesting conflict that he has going on there. Uh, this is going to then this this is setting up something that happens at the end where Tars Tarkas decides that he is actually going to have to leave. He's he's out of there. Uh, he has to go back to his people. His loyalty to John Carter is not as strong as his loyalty to his people. And, you know, being the leader of his people, there's probably some validity to that, even if you were a human and not a Barsoomian, uh, not a Thark. Uh, but that's pretty much all we get from Tars Tarkas. And you know what? That's great. That's that's that nice little subplot. It's taken care of. And, you know, we open with it. We close with it. And it's going to be one of those, you know, threads that, that follows along through the, the series. I don't know how long it's going to go through the series, but it's one of those threads, and that's nice. But that's not what I'm concerned about. I am concerned about the air pirates of Mars. And good grief. <laughs> uh, as I was reading this, I, I read the first scene and like, oh, okay, you know, father, daughter. Uh, oh, by the way, one of the things that she mentions is, you know, isn't it good that you and I know each other? No one else from the Tharks knows their offspring. But Tars Tarkas actually has a relationship with his daughter because she's his daughter. And and he knows that. And she knows who her father is. And and he basically is like, you know, quit trying to confuse me with the facts. You know, I'm I'm trying to think through things logically and you're you're trying to confuse the issue by bringing up, you know, actual details that are relevant to my conflict. And as I've already mentioned, I mean her arguments really don't have much bearing on his final decision, he he is going to leave. Now, that decision comes at the end of the issue. So what happens between that opening and that ending? Well, uh, it's kind of goofy. And as I was reading along, I read the first scene and then I read the second scene and I thought, that's kind of silly. What's going on here? Basically, a white ape uh, sneaks into John Carter's bedroom uh, where he's sleeping uh, soundly, peacefully with Dejah Thoris. And the white ape puts his hand on John Carter's mouth and then motions with his finger, shushes him, shh, be quiet. You're coming with me. And John Carter says, but what about my wife? And well, let her sleep. My master wants to see you. He demands an audience. And John Carter whispers back, who's your master to demand anything? And I don't know why they're still whispering because they're not in his room anymore. They're actually out in the street and they go out to a shuttle and they fly away. <laughs> so last issue where we left off, they had this huge battle, this huge Star Wars battle, you know, where they're attacking the fortress. They're blowing up the fortress of the bad guy and. Uh, John Carter says it's all done. Dejah Thoris says something ominous. I can't remember exactly what it was, but she's basically saying, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it isn't. And we find out that the uh, the Great One, he is not dead. And that's why we have one more chapter in the Air Pirates of Mars. This is so weird. It's like if you took Return of the Jedi and, you know, Lando and Admiral Akbar and Han Solo and all of them. They attack, they destroy the Death Star, and then after the Ewok celebration, Luke Skywalker, he goes to bed. He's alone, of course, because Princess Leia and Han Solo are together, and Princess Leia is 
his his sister. Uh, but he goes to bed, and then a stormtrooper comes in and says, "Shh, come with me. You need to go fight Darth Vader now." It's just a goofy setup, and I I can't tell if this is an intentional thing that Marv Wolfman was just saying. You know what? This is this is the great uh, this is a great idea. It's so different. It's so weird. You know, the the bad guy is summoning John Carter to him instead of John Carter coming to him in the battle. Like that's what they're fighting to do. They're fighting to get you know, and. It's just so weird. Speaking of, I, I didn't mention who who was actually the the team that worked on this. And Marv Wolfman is the writer and editor. Uh, Gene Kane or Gil Kane, and the tribe it says are the illustrators. Denise Wall is the letterer, and Troy Thomas is the colorist. Now I don't know who, a whole lot about who the tribe is. I just what I've been able to find is that this was a one of those groups of artists who would work together. And uh, in this case, I think that this 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 group calling themselves the tribe was a group of Filipino artists. But anyway, uh, the issue is called confrontation. It is the chapter 10 of the Air Pirates of Mars. And so we are going to get our big climax here, our big final battle, because it is the final chapter. But getting there, like I said, just seemed kind of weird. And basically, John Carter gets into a rocket ship thing with the white ape and then walks up into a cave and then up to the great one's throne yes the great one and john carter together again for the first time they are they have been in conflict uh on and off here for the last 10 issues but now is the big final conflict the big final battle and the Great One reveals a lot. He, first of all, reveals that is his name. Uh, it describes him. Uh, he is the Great One. He has no other name. He needs no other name because his identity is obvious. He is the Great One. And he is a combination of five Barsoomian races with the white apes and the Tharks and the, the red Martians. Um, and he, uh, he, so here he gives his origin and his purpose and his mission statement, and it, he is basically, um, it, he says he was on the tree of life that uh, it bloomed and died, and he fell off the tree of life, and now his mission is to take Barsoom, take Mars, and restore its ancient glory, because he, while the rest of Barsoomian culture, uh, you know, they sprang to life from this tree of life and they all were just, you know, developing civilization and language and, you know, technology and all these things over the years and years and years. He was stuck on that tree <laughs> and he was aware of everything psychically. Uh, but when he finally fell off that tree and the, the impression that I get is, uh, well, he says, you know, there's branches that were above and those branches, they, they had life pods. And, and then that's what the various races were born of, were these life pods. But there was a cluster of pods that failed to bloom when the other ones had. And those cluster of pods grew together and each section was from a different race. And so that is how we have this creature here who is all five races 
And I'm just thinking, what a ridiculous story, but what a perfect story. It, it just works. I was trying to think, well, how did this guy come to being? You know, was he cloning himself and adding parts on from different races? No, he was born of all five races. He is literally uh, one of the earliest examples of all five races in that the other races, you know, they were born of these pods off this tree. Uh, he was one of those early pods from the very beginning of Barsoomian's, uh, well, from the very beginning of Barsoom, really. And so he on the tree was, you know, it was developing so slowly, but he was aware of what was going on. And he wants, you know, he then when he finally fell out of his pod and was born, uh, Barsoom was in decline. And that's what's happening here. Barsoom is in decline. And so he's been using his powers to, you know, build this this army and he's been using his psychic powers to control animals and do different things like that. And now John Carter has gotten in the way of his plans and now John Carter must die. And the great one, it, it's so interesting to me. Uh, he considers himself a magnificent savior of Barsoom, but to do what he has to do to save Barsoom, he has to destroy it. He has to kill almost everyone. And so then we get, uh, oh, let's see how many pages of battle. One, two, three, four, five, five pages of just punching and swinging their axe and swinging their sword and fighting each other in this cave. And it even says that, you know, they, they lose track of time. Who knows how long they were actually fighting each other, but they were fighting each other until their, their last and, and final breath until the last bit of energy in their body is completely spent. And then at this point, the great one gets in a lucky shot, but he's too weak to follow through and actually kill John Carter. So he gets into that ship that, that brought John Carter in and John Carter runs and jumps and holds on. He is not going to let this guy escape. He's not going to let him destroy the people of Barsoom, even though, you know, it means a new golden age, he would be able to rebuild it. And as John Carter is hanging onto the ship, uh, the great one is hallucinating. He's dying. He's dying in this the cockpit and he starts hallucinating and imagining himself running uh, through a prim primordial barsoom and finding the tree of life and finding himself home. You know, his his ship, his plan is to go to the the air, the, the atmosphere factory and, you know, crash a ship into it, kind of a kamikaze thing. Uh, but now he feels like he's home. He he's. He doesn't know that he's actually in the ship and he's he's aiming at the tree of life, but he's also aiming at the atmosphere factory. And John Carter leaps away from it, from the ship at the last moment and the ship crashes, but it does not destroy the the factory. And so when John Carter finally comes back, you know, to consciousness, he finds the great one dead. And it says, for a long time, I stared at the bizarre creature, unsure whether to hate a beast who sought death for countless millions or to cry for someone who had vainly sought to save a dying world. I had no anger left within me, no anger, no pity, no tears. All I could do was stand blank eyed 
and quiet throughout the day, and only when Kluros and Thuria rose again in the, in the heavens did I turn homeward to Helium. And what an ending! What an ending! And in some ways, I could see people maybe saying, oh, that's not real satisfying. But to me, uh, I find it completely and utterly satisfying. I It is the perfect ending to this story. If this were a movie... They might have to change some things. Uh, no, they would definitely have to change some things. I would hope they wouldn't change this ending. This guy battles to his last breath and then hallucinates his dying wish, you know, to, to bring life back to Barsoom. And we did get the conflict that we were hoping for of John Carter coming up against the Great One. And... All in all, I mean, the the resolution here, the explanations for what was going on, what this guy was coming from, what this great one wanted to do and why he wanted to do it, uh, it makes me forgive the goofiness of the setup. You know, oh, the battle is done. How do I get John Carter to, oh, I'll just have a messenger come and bring him to the bad guy. I can live with that uh, primarily because the the setup there kind of starts with that setup middle ground you know and then from there it could easily take a nosedive but since we're starting middle ground but growing up that that elevates it it elevates that setup and and you know it, it does i guess when you think about it come from the character of the great one who demands that john carter come to him and that the great one basically is going to one-on-one take care of the one person who can really stop him. John Carter out of the way, maybe the great one could begin his plan again. But if John Carter is still out there, there's no use to even try. And so the great one brings him in and their battle their The art is, is dynamic and it's, it's muscular and it's everything that I've grown to appreciate about John Carter, Warlord of Mars, the comic. And the, I guess the final thing I have to say about this is I don't know how we can go up from here. This is actually kind of one of those things where it's it's maintained that level of quality so nicely for me that I have fear now. Oh, I think every time I open up John Carter I'm going to be worried that we're going to you know, take that nosedive. But for now, this first arc has made my purchase of the Omnibus just, I, it's a steal. I mean, at this point, these 10 issues for that, what, I think I spent 25 bucks for this thing. I mean, we're, we're talking, we're talking 250 an issue. I mean, this is, this was a good read, a fun read, an enjoyable read, and it's, it's just been a, a, a joy to discover. And, and in some ways, I wish I discovered it earlier. But that's it for the coverage of John Carter, Warlord of Mars. It's time now to turn over uh, and take a look at what was in the comics that month, uh, but not necessarily in the stories, but the, the ads and stuff like that. Um, and we call this uh, the segment that's coming up, Ben's Bullpen Bulletin. In some cases, the Ben's Bullpen Bulletin 
really is going to need its own episode. I have some things coming up that I know of. Uh, but in other cases, it's going to be short, and so that's why it gets tagged on to the John Carter Warlord of Mars coverage, or whatever comic ends up being the final the final thing to cover for that 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 period. But <clears throat> it's going to be short today because there's not a lot. I mean, there's there's flea market pages, which are things that I, I enjoy looking at. I don't. Uh, I mean. You can get the vibrating shocker that you put in your hand. You can get the Star Trek Vulcan ears. Uh, you can get the miniature ear radio and rubber gorilla hands and feet. It's cute. It's fun. The x-ray glasses are there with, with the guy. This is the picture of him looking at his hand. There's the uh, you control the seven-foot life-size ghost, which is actually something that I, I find fun whenever I see that because my friend, Tim Barron, an artist I've worked with on a number of things. Life-size uh, ghost is, is one of his, well, it's actually the the kind of publishing name that he uses for whenever he prints a book. Uh, super sea monkeys are there. Just add water, create live instant pets. Um, there's Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew t-shirts. There's a kind of odd thing, and, and this is one that I thought maybe I, you know, just stop here for a moment. You have a a vampire and it's a picture that is being used to uh, advertise for Slim Jim and it doesn't say slam into a Slim Jim. It says satisfy your meat tooth. <laughs> it shows this vampire. Uh, I guess he's getting ready to eat the, the Slim Jim, but it looks like the way it just looks like he's picking his teeth with the Slim Jim. Like it's a, uh, a toothpick like he's using meat to clean his teeth and i don't know i mean I, I mean obviously he's intending i mean he's the picture intends to portray him eating the meat stick but yeah it doesn't look like that necessarily and there's you know, a couple ads for toys that i wanted when i was growing up um and then there's of course the bullpen bulletin stan's bullpen bulletin and in in that uh he well, there's a lot of uh, stuff about a couple Conan projects that are coming up. And then it does mention, it says, Last month we gave you the rundown on Jack King Kirby's two new books, Devil Dinosaur and Machine Man. This month we're going to cue you that next month they're going to be on sale. A word to the wise should be sufficient. First issues, especially those by Mr. K, disappear fast. And that's something I wanted to mention here is I am planning to read those and I'm actually planning to read the entire series of Devil Dinosaur and Machine Man. And those will be covered here in briefer form than I covered the other comics because they're not licensed, not technically, but they're spinning out of books that were licensed, uh, namely 2001. Actually, these both are kind of connected to 2001. We'll get into that next time. But I'm going to cover that during in the Bullpen Bulletin. So Ben's Bullpen Bulletin for next month when I'm covering... Let's see, January, February, March, April, April 1978 cover date. Uh, that will be a part of that coverage and it'll be his own, own episode. And then there's something else here that I find intriguing. I've seen this before. I don't know what it is and I actually kind of want to find it. I don't know if I would find it for a Marvel cosmic comic thing or not, but uh, it says finally in our black and white magazine line, a new edition of Marvel preview surges forth in January and features the UFO connection a novel-length blockbuster of flying saucers, P-51 
Pyramid Power, Reincarnation, and a Secret War with Beings from Beyond, written by David Kraft, drawn by Herb, Herb Trimpey, and rendered by Klaus Janssen. Editor Roger Sliffer assures us it's all imaginary, but the way it ties in with some known facts and theories leaves us wondering and experience a shiver or two, definitely not brought on by the winter wind. And I have to say, I find that you know, some of that chariots of the gods type of thing really intriguing. Not today, <laughs> but I find what, what I find intriguing, honestly, is the chariot of the gods stuff that was kind of coming out in this time here in the 70s. And even in, I guess, I think the 60s is when the book was written. Uh, I find it interesting and intriguing to basically look back at this UFO phenomenon that was kind of really bursting out of this spiritual awakening in the 70s, but that you know more of the new age spiritual awakening that was was coming. And so I'm I'm curious about that one. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. I've seen the cover in different places, but I like I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. I don't know when I would read it, even if I do find it, but it's it's there. And maybe we'll uh, just do a regular comic book time machine episode about it or something. I, I don't know. Uh, there is a uh, Hostess Cupcakes ad with Spider-Man where some guy stealing an emerald and he throws oh, actually a, a group of guys that are all wearing orange jumpsuits. They look like they're uh, actually no, they're, they're images that he's projecting. And he doesn't know how he's going to find the real one. So he throws the cupcakes out and the real one, of course, stops to, to grab them. And he gets, he gets nabbed, he gets captured. And finally, there's this uh, ad for a galaxy of Star Wars treasures. And I find it funny because it basically is uh, Luke, Leia, and Han. And they're wearing Star Wars. Uh, well, Luke's wearing a Star Wars shirt. Han is wearing a Star Wars cap. And... Uh, C-3PO has a Star Wars tote bag and R2-D2 has a Star Wars backpack and there's a Stormtrooper who's unrolled the Star Wars poster and Obi-Wan Kenobi is standing behind him tapping on the Stormtrooper's shoulder and he's got his lightsaber and it's ignited and he's holding it, you know, if he was holding a cane, I would think he's just, you know, holding it up in the air on his shoulder, resting it on his shoulder. It's a lightsaber, you don't rest that on your shoulder because it would, you know, best case it's just going to burn your shoulder worst case your arm's coming off but he, the way he's looking it's like he's tapping the sh stormtrooper's shoulder as if to say hey turn around give me the poster or i'm gonna cut your head off like boba fett's dad you know anyway uh, i just the the whole thing just strikes me as kind of funny where you have the, all those characters just with their their star wars merchandise so that's it for March of 1978, the cover date anyway. These books were all released in December of 1977, but we are moving to January of 1978 with the release of the comics that we will be covering next in April, the April 1978 cover date. And I'm going to go ahead and I've done this sometimes. I'm going to go ahead and do it right now. I just pulled the bag up. And we will be looking at, let's see, Star Wars issue number 10, John Carter, Warlord of Mars issue number 11, Godzilla number 9, Man from Atlantis number 3, um, Human Fly number 8, and then, like I said, Machine Man and Devil Dinosaur number 1 will be a part of the Bullpen Bulletin as, long, as well as, I should say, uh, Marvel Premiere 
featuring Seeker 3000, which is Marvel kind of prepping a sci-fi concept. I have never read this before. I found it and I thought, you know what? I am going to put this one in, in coverage. Uh, you know, I'm, I might skip that UFO thing, but I'm going to go ahead and do this one. This is also the month coming up that uh, has the Howard the Duck Star Wars parody cover. And I won't do anything with that other than mention it right now. So, yeah, that's the April 1978 cover date that we'll be covering in our next round of Marvel's Cosmic Comics. I thank you once again for listening and hope you enjoyed talking about this. And if you do, please contact us, comicbooktimemachine.com. That's our website. You can find contact information there. You can also go to facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine. And we'd love to hear from you. And I would love to hear from you, especially if you have any knowledge or any memories of these comics that we're talking about. So that's it for now. Once again, thanks for listening and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. In our next episode, Star Wars, issue number 10.